0: Citizens of the People's Game, do you know what I'm going to do this weekend? I'm going to go down to the MCG and I'm going to sit in M23. I'm going to eat a pie and I'm going to buy a footy record for five. Five bucks. Jeez, they're expensive these days. I'm going to watch Jeremy Howe take a specky. I'm going to watch Eddie Betts kick a banana. And I am going to love every second of it. Yes, those adapted words from King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard can only mean one thing. Footy is back. But wasn't footy already here? The truncated AFLW season is nearly done and won. Will anyone stop the Crows? And yes, footy's back and footy's finishing. The brief period of overlap reminding us that footy is forever and that footy is but a brief moment in our lives. Footy is everything and footy is nothing at all. And thankfully, there's only 27 weeks until hopefully someone replaces the Eagles as the reigning premiers. Yes, Melbourne's caught a bad case of footy fever, and to help me overcome the leather poisoning that I'm about to ensue are two of my favourite footy friends. From every corner of the football internet, it's the soon-to-be doctor of fandom, Casey Simons, and from Melbourne University's The Citizen, Jack Bannister. G'day guys, and how's your case of footy fever treating you?
1: Hey Godo, what's going on? Hey Jack.
2: Hello Casey, (laughs) ever so nice to see you again, you've been... Absent and it's just been me and Gordo vegging out in the pod cave. Hello. So we're glad to have you back.
1: I've missed you guys.
2: Can't wait to talk about West Coast, the reigning premier soon to be dethroned.
1: Really hurts. That feels like a bit of a personal attack, it Jack. Um, <laughs> no, nah, we're not going anywhere. Back to back. Back to back, baby.
0: All right. So, before we get into the AFL Endless, give the AFLW its due diligence because someone needs to, and the AFL certainly isn't. It has been a interesting weekend where uh, the team with the worst percentage makes it through to a preliminary final, which I think, and I'd have to ask the swamp thing on Twitter, probably the first time in history excluding Fitzroy that maybe finished last in 1903 or something.
2: The year that we had the the World War and the comp was dramatically shortened.
0: There you go. Uh, Casey, you've you've been telling everyone who will listen about how disgusting and disappointing (laughs) this is. Can you give us your uh, overarching take?
1: Um, Yeah, to say I'm disappointed is um, pretty much an understatement. Um, I'm quite angry, which means I get my little person voice on, which you can tell I'm angry because I go really quiet because I'm so, so angry. Um, I don't shout when I'm angry, but yeah, I'm pretty angry. (laughs) Um, I've been talking a lot this week about the conferences um, and I've written a bit about it for The Guardian um, leading up to the final round and it was kind of, I guess... And I think we've been told this all the way through for those of us who were sceptical of the conferences that we needed to be patient, that they would probably sort themselves out, that we needed to put some misguided faith in the AFL that they knew what was best. And um, I did try to be a little bit like that going into the final round of AFLW. But I guess um, all of those sort of hopes were a bit shattered, um, considering that we do have a team with the worst Percentage in the AFLW playing finals to the detriment of some other teams that should be there um, based on the football that they've played. So it is really it's really sad, I think, um, for those teams. But then I guess the flip side of it now is I don't want to take that away from the teams who are there just because of the system that we have. Like you know, good on them. Um, I don't want to shame them for being in the finals for playing in a system that has worked to their advantage. So that's fine. But I think the conversation now about the conferences that I'm hearing and that what I've absorbed today post this situation just sort of seems to be that the AFL is pretty set on this idea that they don't seem to think it's that deal, um, which actually really hurts me as a fan. I'm actually really quite sad today, to be honest, which is upsetting because it's finals week. It's mm. the first finals that we've had of AFLW and we should should all be up and about and celebrating the teams that are playing those finals. So I'm re- I feel really, really conflicted right now.
0: And it really is a lose-lose for everyone involved because there's the teams that missed out obviously devastated and especially teams like North Melbourne have had a pretty remarkable first year in the competition. And then you have teams like Carlton who get to host a preliminary funnel and everyone's essentially saying they don't deserve it mm-hmm. and so it steals away from their their glory as well so literally no none of the participants win the, the fans who have stuck with the whole season and kind of already told us that was going to happen happened so they have all they have is a a, a negative we told you so aspect to look back on yeah and it kind of again is just another negative thing to talk about with the aflw when we should be talking about all the positives. Mm-hmm. I think as as a product, it's probably, well, it's not hard to be the best season they've ever had because they're always going to be improving, but it it has come along a long way and I think developed further than most people would have thought, especially with the expansion of all the the competition.
1: Absolutely. I think the games that we've watched this year have just been sensational. I think I haven't really seen a game that hasn't been some level of exciting or had everything on the line, which, I mean, is conducive to a short season anyway. But the standard of football has been great. Um, the top-level performers have outperformed themselves. So it's just been such an entertaining product. So to end a season like that with this kind of feeling is really hard to stomach. And I think the the difficult thing about it is that it that feeling is not translating to upper management at the AFL and I think they still are treating the fans of the game with a lot of disdain. And I think this goes back to what you are just saying about the fans, you know, that we should be excited. Um, I think... The situation we're in now, the AFL's putting a lot of pressure on the fans to produce a lot of emotional labour around that which is this is what you've got this is what you have just be happy about it and if you're not happy about it like you're not supporting the competition you're not supporting the girls out there on the park and I think that puts a lot of pressure on fans because I feel that because I want to be an advocate for this league I want to be an advocate for all the women playing I want to be excited I'm going to go to the games and I'm going to cheer and I'm going to be tweeting about it all week about trying to get people there because I really want to push that message that women's football is great But then on the other hand, we sort of have this situation where, well, actually, there are some not great things happening. But then it puts me in a position where, well, I want to hold the AFL accountable for this stuff um, and I want to complain about it and criticise it because I think it needs more attention. But, like, I then have to put so much effort into still being a fan of it to support it. So it's, like, it's really exhausting to be an AFLW fan, which it shouldn't be. Like, it should just be a fun thing that we get to watch. But, yeah, there seems to be a lot of issues now that, I don't think the AFL is taking seriously and I think that was really evident today in, an, in a video that I saw this afternoon go up on um, womens.afl.com with Nicole Livingston kind of laughing about the conferences and thinking, oh, you're not going to ask me about conferences with a bit of a comical tone and it just really hurts me, like that makes me feel really emotional that – they think it's funny and it's a bit of a joke and it's a punchline. Like, oh, yeah, we guess, you know, we'll have to review. We'll review. And it's like, it's not funny. Like, you need, you have the power to fix this, but you're not. And, um, yeah, it's, it's hard work at the moment being a female footy fan.
2: So, Case, I won't make you read the article, but Beck Goddard's contention several weeks back was that we wouldn't end up with a compromised final system because ultimately, even if the semifinals were blowouts, the best two teams would make the grand final. At this point, by that by that logic, it would be Adelaide and Frio. But do you think that actually stacks up? Like how compromised is the back end of this competition because you don't have North going toe-to-toe with Adelaide and Melbourne there as well this weekend?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think, you know, to be completely honest, like I'm not 100% like against the conferences and how they were designed um, because I know the AFL has to – keep this competition restricted in the time that it wants, which I don't agree with, but if that's what they're going to do, that's what they're going to do. That's okay. Um, I just think how they've designed them in terms of the teams not being able to play each other once is the issue. And I think what we've got now, so North Melbourne not playing who were the stronger team um, of the expansion teams and Carlton playing who are the weaker team. They didn't have the oppor- opportunity to play each other in the regular season. So I think that just sort of doesn't give us an equitable look at who is the best in the competition then and I don't think that's fair so I think when we talk about conferences I can I can settle on conferences if that's what we've got but the conferences are not fair and it's not because they're unevenly stacked like um in the video today Nicole Livingston was sort of trying to bring up trying to bring up other conferences from international sport mostly the US and saying you know like Major League Baseball, like that's how it is. You're not going to have a full ladder and um, and same in the NBA. But at the same time, like they play each other in those conferences multiple times. So There's you 160 do 160 games. That's right. So you get a sense of who is the best of that pick. And then if there are weaker conferences, which like they're always going to be stronger or weaker conferences, but being able to cross over multiple times and play each other evens that out a bit. So you do get a sense of who is the best of the best. But that... Opportunity is not given to the women's competition because it is so restricted. So, um, I mean, I just don't think they're ever going to even out um, if that was Goddard's suggestion without having a format like that where you can play each other once. And it's an
0: ignorant take as well because people complain currently in the NBA especially, about the difference in conferences. Mm-hmm. And there's been a massive push in the last five years to get rid of conferences and just have the top 16 teams go into funnels
1: yeah, and have a
0: have a 1 to 16 ranking. So fans just want the, like, you come to funnels, you want the best teams in the funnels. As a, as a fan of the product, to use their marketing term, mm. you want to see the best teams there and we're getting robbed of that. But also it's weird to suggest that if they want to go into brackets or conferences or whatever they want to call them, then why not just adopt like a, like a proper tournament scale like you do at the World Cup or the Olympics and you don't play every team, you just play every team in your conference and then you go to finals. With the expansion next year making it 12 teams, I think. 14. 14, 14 teams. Which is, um, that is, what, is it, yeah. what
1: they will do. Yeah, so it just um, be two
0: teams. Like, I think next year it will work okay because at least it's fair and you're competing for a spot in the finals against the people you can compete against, not an uneven team where you might play. Everyone in, everyone in your pool is playing each other once. So that makes sense. Yeah, it's just the, it's this interim period where it's quite messy. And, yes.
1: yeah, But, I mean, yeah, I mean, I have issues with that too, I guess. But um, I've just realised, and I think I said before, North Melbourne and Carlton didn't play each other. I meant Geelong, the two new teams. My apologies. Um, I think that what we have now is specifically there based on the design of having that structure next year. Mm. I think that's exactly what we have. And I think in terms of fairness, like that does work in having the best of both of the conferences then play off if they've all played each other once without a crossover. Like as a competition model, I think it works. But it just makes me mad that um, the season is still going to be conduced into like still essentially a seven-week period um, and is still going to keep these elite athletes um, semi-professional. So I don't think it's fair to have – a Competition in its fourth year still restricted into that slot, um, mm. which I think the AFL was sort of building all the way along to still keep it that way. And we'll probably keep it in that space for quite a few years. I don't see it expanding anytime soon, mm. which is really disappointing because I think when the first year started, I really do think the narrative was this is the first year, it's going to be a short season, and we're going to build, we're going to build. But I think what we've done is we've built the number of teams. But we've not built out the season. And I think every year, because we haven't been presented with a, a plan of development for the league, every year it's just another level of anxiety for fans. Say, so, well, is this year the year that it's going to be more? Is this year that's going to be the year that's more? But we're always sort of dangled along on a little thread, just sort of chasing the AFL's tail. Just, well, I guess we'll just take what we're given, um, which again puts another a level of like emotional labor on the fans to just like keep investing and keep hoping and. Um, yeah, I think we are just continually getting slapped in the face. To be yeah. honest,
0: in essence, there's no availability for for feedback to the AFL in terms of if we're angry at the AFLM, we'll, we just won't go games. Like if if our club is treating us poorly, we just don't turn up, mm-hmm. or we don't get it to funnels, or we don't watch on TV, and it hits their bottom line. But it doesn't with really, because there's you know there's no tickets sold, so there's no financial hit if no one turns up for the AFL, and mm-hmm. if anything. If they they keep it and it fails in the seven-week window, then they go, well, we told you so, essentially. Like, this is an experiment. It didn't work. We win. And if we do turn up and it survives and it thrives, well, then they go, well, we win because we told you. We turn up. There's just no – they can just do what they want now. And when you say it makes fans anxious, well, it should make the players anxious as well. They go, well, potentially, yeah, like, do I commit to footy as a 19-year-old because Mm -hmm. I get to play a seven-week season once every, you know, 10 months? Or do I go – and play somewhere else, or do I just go to uni, or do I just get a job? Or
1: Yeah, definitely. I was talking to um, a friend of mine and fellow journalist, Kirby Fenwick, at the Pride game on Sunday about this very thing because we were pretty much just having exact conversation and really talking about how sort of disgruntled we were. And um, we were talking about that because I think the narrative also at the moment is that AFLW is going to be better because we've got so many young girls playing the game and in a few years' time, the level of talent is going to be huge. And we sort of thought, well, maybe like that myth is going to be a bit dispelled soon because- You know, if you're a 16-year-old girl and you're looking at what the A4W is and you're at that point where you've been playing footy for a couple of years and you're probably playing other sports because those opportunities are available to you at that age and you're coming up to draft time in a couple of years and you're not seeing the competition expand, you're not seeing the pay go up, you're not seeing the opportunities given to you by choosing that sport as your professional sport as an athlete – why are you choosing that sport? Like, surely you're going to be looking at other things. Um, if you have another Chloe Malloy come along in like a year or two who is offered a basketball scholarship to go overseas and the opportunity to play AFLW, I'm sure that that decision is going to be made a lot more clear based on what we've seen on AFLW because why would you give that up to play something that you're going to play for seven weeks mm. and be paid very, very little but then have to invest so much of your time and your health um, so I wonder if there's a few things that are going on there that are actually going to impact this competition that the AFL is not aware of because they do think they have this sort of stranglehold on the competition as a whole from like a participation point of view. Yeah.
0: And for a league that's absolutely obsessed with clean air, mm-hmm. they, they're they going to run out of it next year. At the end of an Olympic cycle, so the Olympic is coming up next year. So Olympians that are dual athletes may or may not go back to trying to get back into their national teams and then, in terms of eyeballs, well, we've got Olympics coming up. We've got a T Twenty World Cup in Melbourne next year with the final in, in Melbourne, and that's going to be running at the same time. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have up against probably the biggest. I say now that cricket international cricket's probably the biggest women's sport globally. Maybe the maybe the women's the soccer, maybe the women's football yeah, yeah World Cup between those two, um, and definitely in terms of in Australia, they, they'd be the two, and then yeah there'd be no sense of free air, free space, and it will come down to that. Like I think next year essentially will be the pivot point for AFLW because it will be competing against so many different things and so many different eyeballs. So mm. – and if they're committed to a truncated season, I don't see how that's going to work exactly, which is a bit scary.
1: It is a bit scary. Yeah, I'm um, a bit fearful about the future of AFLW, which um – um Which really sucks because I love it so much and I just want to see it just go from strength to strength, which I think in some areas it is, as we said before, and definitely in what the athletes are putting on the field. But I just feel like they're just not being given the support and the opportunities that they should be given. And yeah, it really sucks sitting on the sidelines, watching them play their hearts out and knowing what's going on in the background or not knowing what's going on in the background to, like, help them keep going. Like, yeah, it's really hard to mm-hmm. it's really hard to be a fan of women's footy. But and I love it. You love talk it. about
2: clean air, Gordo, and then, for example, with the grand final timings, they've scheduled the grand final on a Sunday where it overlaps with a variety of other events rather than using the Saturday afternoon slot that would basically give it clean air. So clean air is somewhat opportunistic at times.
1: Yeah.
0: Yep. <laughs> so to end on a more positive note, do we have any predictions for the final series? Are we going to see an upset? Are we going to see another are we going to see one of the division 2 or oh, division 2 <laughs> <laughs> conference <laughs> conference B team Friday the Yes, division 2. <laughs> uh, uh, teams come up and steal uh, a premiership circuit the doggies of 2016?
1: I mean maybe. Um No. <laughs> I would say no too. Um I think Adelaide is definitely my pick. I think they're just so strong. But then, I don't know, Carlton have been pretty crafty the last couple of weeks. So No. <laughs> no,
2: nah, if Carlton win, I'll have to give up.
0: Give up? Give just, up. Yeah, just give up. No, surely I think if Carlton win, you have to buy a Carlton
2: AFLW membership for next year. Probably. Mm. Or a, some sort of Taylor Harris merchandise. I
1: have Both. a Taylor Harris t-shirt. I'll lend mm. it to you.
2: No, I think the Crows buy plenty.
1: Yeah, I think it'd be pretty hard to stop the Crows. Yeah. Um, Oh God! Like Aaron Phillips just looks amazing. Did you see um, the Swamp
2: Stat about the most contested possessions in twenty AFL or AFLW games, which was a list topped by Aaron Phillips? Mm, the cracking yeah. Swamp Stat, one of his best.
1: Uh, she, who did she visit? Patrick Cripps, mm, who is the yeah, next one down. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. <laughs>
0: Move on now to our AFLM pre-season preview, all the talking points, all the things to look out for, and uh, for us journos and writers alike, the storyline predictions that keep us uh, way too intrigued for the next uh, three to four months. JB, you have dubbed this People's Week. What do you mean by that? This is the best week of the year. The, this is the best. So that, week that's of contrary year. to popular belief. Where grand final week is yeah. apparently I, the best I, I, week. I'm
2: I'm absolutely not about that after the experience of last year. And actually, let's be honest, the majority of years of my life. So grand final I think is predominantly about two two sets of supporters mm-hmm. that own that week, and it's you. And it is a special. I think it's a special thing in its own right because when you're there, you're there. But the reality is, there are going to be what 16 clubs out of the 18 that don't get there. And I think that round one, everyone has something to look forward to, like. Even, like, Carlton supporters this week are a little bit up and about, right? I oh, said so they should be, though. And they should. And I'm not saying they shouldn't be. There's only, there's only, a, but, there's only a handful of teams that shouldn't be up and about. But there's almost always going to be something to hope for in round one. And I say this from, you know, what, 15 or 16 or 17 or 18 or maybe 19 years of watching Richmond with barely a finals appearance. We were always up for round one. Like, we we're this was always it. This was always a year. And I don't think that ever quite... Goes away, And maybe I'm a particular sort of nuffy who subscribes to hope more so than reason. Mm-hmm. But I just can't get better or can't get more excited about footy than this week because it's also the week that the talking shop ends and goes away. And every like, – because the media cycle for the last three weeks kind of goes into a holding pattern, doesn't it? Well, yeah, but I suppose
0: it's – the AFL hasn't been too bad. And, again, if you bring up uh, the AFL's ugly cousin, the NRL, in terms of the off-field stuff, it's kind of nice that it's – like, they've kind of said nothing. Like, you prefer boring, like, oh, he's trading the house down as opposed to he's gone and assaulted someone or, like. Mm-hmm. My favourite mm-hmm. one this like,
2: preseason was, uh, I think it was on SEN. The comment was, Jake String is probably not the sort of bloke that's going to burn the track up in preseason. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which is interesting because we used to just form the cliche, like, literally every player in the AFL is going to play midfield and has done a PB and has either put on or taken 5Ks off their body weight and it's just this
2: balking behemoth. But now we're actually being like, no, no. Some guys are lazy. Some guys aren't. Yeah, and I do also, like, I think it was Chris Scott made the point on Waitley that, like, no one knows at this point. Even the clubs don't know. Hmm. Like, so when you equate yourselves to everyone else, there's a, there's such an element of the unknown, and this is the week that it lives completely. Anything in your imagination is possible. The doomsday is possible. The greatest scenario in the world is possible. I honestly think we should have the public holiday this week. When? What Friday? day? Would Friday. So
3: after so the th- first game. So
2: Thursday night. Open Friday, and that's a great day for your bloody season launches. And because the Almanac one was last week, couldn't go, so that's kind of a little bit you know, public Mm. holiday that helps with that.
1: You have a parade, we can have a sporting
2: chance (laughs) season launch, which we can't have because we're all bloody working. (laughs) Keep the grand final public holiday, and maybe we can get rid of another one like Labor Day. No one gives a shit about Labor Day, we'll just move it, I suppose.
3: Yeah, Yeah.
0: you know, so. Mm. I, I think I think this week's definitely a good week for fans. I think it's a terrible week for people actually involved in like participating in footy because there is that sense of unknown. maybe players would froth it because you want to play footy obviously, but I know being in a couple of coaches' boxes, th- there is nothing more petrifying for coaches than like the two minutes between from the ground getting up to the coach's box, that little race up the MCG stairs because that's when they have to let go. And all coaches are control freaks. And they're just like, I've had the whole pre-season. I controlled their workloads. I controlled their diets. I controlled their reading habits. I locked their iPhones. Like I did everything possible to make sure that this was right. And now I have to go, here you go. Over to you, boys. Over to you. Even
2: more so this year because of various restrictions.
0: Yeah. And And there's no runners anymore. And then it's just like, and then the worst thing that could possibly happen in the coach's box is that, you know, they yeah, kick six goals on you in the first quarter and you're like, oh, the, our whole pre-season was wasted. Stringer didn't work hard enough. Um, I, still,
1: I feel that way about being a fan, Gordo. Like, I feel like all off-season like, I talk my team up, I see how great they are, I put all those words out there in the world and then as, that minute before the game starts I realise that as soon as that result comes through, if it does not go my way, mm. I'm in a lot of trouble. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and I think I'm excited for this year more so than last year and, but you're in the reverse situation because the bar when you the year after the premiership is high. Like, yeah. it can't be better than that. Like, it can be as good, but I don't think, I don't think you can have – and this is not – I'm not doing this to rain on your parade. Please <laughs> please keep smiling. But, like, you're not going to win a grand final. Like, I know there's a minuscule like, – pers- like, and maybe this is what brings you back. Like, it could be better than last year if you win. It could be. Mm-hmm. But the chances are
0: like a bee's dick. No, nah, so this is where you fall into the trap of being an absolutist again. Because mm. – so Richmond, it's hard. Because Richmond don't win grand finals as a, as a, as a as a modern era club and like in the AFL era, we we've won one, so we were just like, yeah, that's awesome. And then we didn't win it last year. We we're like, oh, well, that's you know, it's all about grand finals. It doesn't matter about the season because that meant nothing. When really it's like West Coast now have the have the opportunity to go on as massive like become like a New York Yankees style club, which they already are. They they have a winning history. They're used to winning. They win regularly. They win at home all the time. And that's what they do. And so that's, for a West Coast fan, that is, that's football for them is, no, we're about to be a dominant, we're about to prove that Western Australian football, and they love that because they hate the whole, the VFL plus extras. They're about to go (laughs) make a point. It's like, no, no, WA football is the best footy. And here we go. And that's the same with like, you know, all the big clubs. The Hawthorns of the world, they weren't, they weren't sitting there after their first of three being like, oh, well, that's you know, there's no point teaming up now. It can't be getting any better than this. No, they went on a three-peat and they
2: proved everyone. And- well, it can be, but the chances are it probably won't
0: be. Yeah, but I reckon this year is a year where a good team wins it again. I, I don't see You've noted here in the show notes that, you know, we had doggies in 16, absolute stole that flag. They didn't deserve <laughs> Fairy it.
2: Fairy and- tale. I knew you would shoot that down and you just introduced <laughs> my point and I'm quite annoyed about that. Yeah. No, I just the last three years have been unbelievable. So I know you hate the dogs, but I love it. So that was that was I like, don't hate the dogs. I love the dogs. No, you don't it's just you that. hate the dogs. You <laughs> hate the dogs. I've seen the petty comments you make on WhatsApp groups behind closed doors. Um, that was that was the ultimate like the premiership drought. That was such a and that was such a good sporting that had everything as a sporting story. Don't we're not gonna we are not getting into arguing about this because we'll be here all day. Seventeen, I think Richmond was exciting even for non Richmond people. That was another big premiership drought, the behemoth awakening. Personally, obviously, it was very, very momentous. And then 18 was just – like, for, given Richmond got bundled out in the prelim, I've watched last year's grand final six or seven times. I haven't even watched the Richmond grand final through once. Don't yeah. know what that says about me. But last year's grand final was amazing. So my point is, what do we have that can get that can make this year better? So the selfish one is Richmond – and then when you sort of look at the stories, I think the obvious place that people have arrived is Melbourne.
3: Mm.
2: For mine, it's Carlton. Oh, sorry, not Carlton. Collingwood. Sorry, Carlton. Fancy. <laughs> literally a millisecond. Uh, but explain Melbourne before I ran on your parade. Well, that's the other long-standing premiership drought, apart from Frio, who no one really gives a, sh- a sniff to.
1: No,
0: but see, I say I, pe- I prefer a Frio over a Melbourne win. Do we care about Melbourne?
1: Well, oh, it, there's we no- care about Melbourne more than this, Frio. This, this yeah. is kind of
0: my point. It's hard to love them. Like it is. It, this is like they're an unlovable fan base because they are tradi- well Well, should know. Like, isn't Melbourne the actual club? Doesn't have it's the MCC members that ruin it for everyone because it's the they're the toffees with the silver heeled shoes
2: and the cheese platters and the and cheese platters
0: and the and the R and Williams with chinos. But that's not Melbourne Football Club. I think Melbourne Football Club has has its own loyal fan base disassociated from that. But also them as a as an actual as a twenty two to four, like a squad of forty. Mm. They're not very lovable. No, and I don't love Simon Goodwin. The key key figures in that football club and that football team and that football squad aren't lovable. Like no one's going, oh, I just love the way that Clayton Oliver plays. He's a a (laughs) tough nut, but he's an ugly footballer. I think the only one's probably gone.
3: (laughs) Yeah. But he's
2: like the lovable doofus. He's not like a... No, he's a pretty lovable doofus. He's a lovable doofus. Which brings me to what I actually do think is the potential story, and that's Nathan Buckley. Mm. Because I think his... You can't not be sort of bound up in, and I know he'd probably say, oh, it's not about me, but you can't not be absorbed by- It's definitely about Buckley. But you can't be not absorbed by his narrative. Like, this is a guy who went to the Brisbane Bears and then left because he didn't want to be in Brisbane, moved to Collingwood, then lost two grand finals to the Bears slash become Lions, who formed a dynasty, won the Norm Smith- in a grand final that they lost, lost to them twice, then gets there as coach, loses by five points on a, a fluky not a fluky, sorry, Casey, before you slap me. Um on an unbelievable. Um, um, early... Well you about to say Dom Shed's kick was fluky. No, it was not. Yes. It was pure skill. It was pure no, skill. No, it was pure skill but And the hmm. best part is he used to grow up watching Nathan Buckley had a kick tape. So that's the best part uh, yeah. of all of it. And so there's nothing about that narrative that you cannot be bound up in. Like last year and I know Adam Simpson was the premiership coach, but September was Really, the stories, at least in Melbourne, because we have a Melbourne-centric media, were all about Nathan Buckley. And I just think that continues and then is added
0: to. If you want, if you want pure romance, it's, it's Back to the Future. It's a Richmond-Collingwood grand final and Collingwood win.
2: Well, I would bet probably be a Collingwood-Brisbane.
0: It uh, depends which. No, no, back to the Back to 1980s. Mm, like, yeah. mm. like, we're going way back because this is the year of 660. This is the year of old school footy, apparently. It could also be the year Six of the
2: and- VFL top four. Yeah. Like the VF Melbourne, Richmond, Collingwood and maybe an Essendon sneak in there. Is there is no way that the West Coast are about the top four. but Well, I, I personally agree with that. I'm just saying that there is probably as big a possibility as there's ever been of an all-Melbourne top four. Yeah. Because the, which big, is still the old foundation clubs, the Collingwood, the Richmond and the Melbourne are all pretty strong, um, which hasn't happened. When was the last time that those three teams were up and about at the same time? Hmm. It's one of the reasons last year's prelim was like – oh, my God, this town doesn't know what's hit it. And they're not going to know what's hit them in round two when it's Thursday night and it's the repeat of that game. But you can't not get excited about that. And that puts me in a really compromised position because on one hand you're barracking for the Nathan Buckley narrative but then you also are meant to staunchly despise Mm. Collingwood. It's very hard to staunchly despise Nathan Buckley, though. It is. And I think he's become such a good – he's become a figure who I think was somewhat maligned in his playing days and I think he's now become – a commonly revered and loved figure.
1: I think that's only because of the grand final, though. I think if you were talking to the general footy public now, I think there'd still be a lot of people who are so anti-Collingwood and anti-Buckley just because of Collingwood. But I think the only reason that people are starting to sway is just because how he behaved on grand final day. Like, I think that's the only real factor of this.
0: Hmm. He's a class individual.
1: He is, but I don't – I mean, and I know that. And I think if you can put footy biases aside for a little bit, I think you could see that. But I think footy biases are pretty strong, especially in Melbourne. I don't know if many, like, Carlton fans or Essendon fans are going to make those comments unbiased. Surely the Collingwood hatred runs higher than that.
2: I don't know. It's where I'm conflicted because on one hand I do barrack for the story, by Mm. the dogs, like, I cried as much watching The Dogs as I did watching Richmond. Although, as I've pointed out this week, I cry with every little AFL Premiership movie that comes out at this time <laughs> of year. Like, I can't get more than a minute in without tearing up. It's disgraceful for a bloke who doesn't cry very often, other than, like, literally. I reckon nine out of the last 10 times I've cried were about football, and I can't remember what the tenth. Time I going also off.
1: cry with footy montages. I think, actually, sports montages are just the thing. Like, always, always will get me. Yeah.
0: Casey, what are you looking for in, a, in this season? What are you hoping to get out of it? Other than the premiership, that's very obvious.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say, really, Then I just want to go back to back. Um, like, I mean, what is a footy season without hoping for a premiership that doesn't go away just because you have one? Um, so I kind of want West Coast to keep dominating. I want to make sure people in Victoria don't forget about West Coast and which how good we are. they already have. <laughs> which they <laughs> definitely already have. Um, and I kind of actually – which – I don't know how people will take this, but, like, I just want to see, like, a really even competition and I want to see the interstate teams do really well because I actually like when there's a lot of interstate teams in the final series. And I know that takes away from, like, the magic of, like, the old VFL days that you guys are talking about and having, like, Melbourne-based finals in Melbourne and, um, what the like, what the city is like at that time. But to me, like, football's just good regardless and I actually am really excited to see, like, teams like Adelaide and and Sydney and and maybe even Brisbane kind of like charge up the ladder this year. Like that excites me when there's good footy everywhere over the country. So I know maybe I feel like that way because I wasn't born in Melbourne. So (laughs) I don't know.
2: There's a question, an open question for the panel. So you mentioned Brisbane. Mm -hmm. Who would you rather be, Brisbane or Carlton? Ooh. Right now?
0: mm, Brisbane.
2: Brisbane. Yeah, I think I'm with you on that one. I'm not <laughs> going to disagree.
0: The thing, the thing I like about Brisbane is that they seem willing, like they, they like to play a good brand of football, but they also seem willing to win, whereas I don't think Carlton have it at the
2: well, moment. you don't know what it looks like. I think you can see what Brisbane are going to be when they become the successful team that everyone thinks they'll eventually become. I don't know if you can yet with Carlton. I think that's this year for Carlton, clearly establishing what the brand is. Yeah, but I don't think that Bolton has time to do that either.
0: He's had a lot of time to determine a brand. And for a guy that's on a year-to-year contract, he'd really want to start winning some games. Because as much as, you know, playing pretty footy is good, losing by 60 points each week
2: isn't. Mm. Mm. It's an interesting one. I I mean, I think Brisbane, I think that this will be a year where I don't know, the Eagles go their first case here, I'm not just saying this to wind you up, where the Gabba becomes or starts to become a tougher place to go again, which I don't think it's been for some time. I would like. I think that there's a fair chance that, I don't necessarily think they'll mat the eight, but I think they'll fry a couple of big fish up, hmm. up there. Because um, again, it will start to become like the other interstate grounds. Whereas I know for the, for the last few years, you know, a trip to the Gabba has been a bit of a, a, a cakewalk.
0: And then in terms of storylines, what are we on the lookout for this year? Every year we seem to have a big like three or four talking points, constant talking points that seem to develop over the season. What do we think is going to happen this footy season? The obvious things are that we've got rules, we've got coach sackings, we've got hopefully no drama. We don't want any off-field drama. Please, please, all players, just from, from, day, from Thursday afternoon until the
1: Always. month after
0: the grand final. <laughs> forever. Just, just delete WhatsApp. <laughs> don't go on Messenger.
2: Don't do anything dumb
1: forever do nothing dumb please what pl- pl- plot
2: lines <laughs> well i am personally of the opinion that the runners thing will continue to simmer because i think that the coach is just not very happy about it because mm-hmm. it makes it very hard to rotate um i feel like the double 50 will go away really quickly because i think that it, it, it watching
1: needs to, it is destroyed no HW. no no
2: no i think it'll be in I think it'll stay in the... comp. Like, I don't think they'll take the rule out. I just think that the players will, fix it. will stop giving them away. Mm. Like and I, I don't I don't really understand. Like, I know that there's some conjecture over the rule. I see the purpose of it. I don't think it's that hard for the players. I think a couple of them got caught napping in the JLT, and I just don't think that'll happen because I reckon everyone will have been watching Vision for the last week and everyone will be going, don't be that guy. So I think that one will blow over. See, I don't because fans... So a
0: lot of fans the only fellow AFLM, are tuning in Thursday. That's their first time tuning in. Like your fair weather fans or just your footy people that watch footy for the sake of watching footy. And when the first double gets given on Thursday, people are going to blow lids. Absolutely Blow leads because one thing that fans hate is umpire interference, and there's nothing more interfering in a game of footy than marching a person
2: 100 metres down the field. Well, that it did blow up in the first game last year with Richmond and the infringement on the yeah. 50 on the zone. Which well,
0: we were gonna like we're, were a, a lock for top top eight because they had almost beaten Richmond and they'd you know, but they had gifted themselves five goals <laughs> via <five goals laughs> the infringements.
2: <laughs> which to be fair, David King did mention that that was really a false dawn built on mm. single 50 metre penalties. I don't know. Do people not tune in? Like, are people not really aware of this? Like the casual observer going absolutely. on Thursday,
0: absolutely. People, people will just people will just go to the game on Thursday because that's what you do. You're a Carlton fan. You, you try to ignore everything else about football until it's football season. Until it's round one, the window of opportunity and hope is for that for that two hours. And then when they lose to Richmond, they give up and maybe open their memberships again. It used like, to be the other way around. It did. Are we on Coach Sack watch?
1: Who's yeah, in the I think, gun? Um, well, probably Bolts is in a little bit of trouble. Do you Ooh. think?
0: So he's not, he wouldn't be my first. If I was taking odds on who's the first coach to go, it's it's Alan Richardson Yeah, by, he would by, be by the second length man. of Flemington straight.
1: I'm interested with Bolts because of how well Carlton's been doing off the field. Mm. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with their CEO. Um, So what they've broken their membership um, record this early. You know, AFLW team's doing really well. It seems like they've fixed up a few issues in their administration. So I think they've got this plan in place where they've already ticked a lot of the boxes, whereas the on-field performance of the men's team is probably the last little box. That's very
0: Melbourne as well. Melbourne were the same. They fixed Mm. up everything else and then they were like, right, let's try and play some good footy now.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Mm. I
2: just sometimes wonder, I wonder with Richardson, if you thought he wasn't the man, would you have already flicked him? Like do you need, or have they not just decided that he's the guy?
0: Well, they weren't that bad last year in terms of win-loss, St Kilda.
2: They, oh, they the, slipped.
0: They slipped and they had. They went 14 games without winning a game, so they were pretty bad, but they also won more games than Carlton. So I was like, mm-hmm. Carlton made them look a lot better than what they actually were, in my opinion. I would not be surprised if St Kilda, if St Kilda lose to Gold Coast in round one, I would heavily invest in St Kilda not winning a game for the rest of the year.
1: Ooh, big call.
0: Massive call. But, like, who do they beat then? Mm. I mean, I do think they're rubbish. If they lose to Gold Coast, who do they beat? Carlton? I reckon Carlton's got them covered now with... With the, with the talent they've got and what they have to play for this season, and everyone else is better than them.
2: I don't think it's Alan Richardson's fault.
0: But who do, like, you can't sack all the players. This is the reason behind no, matches. But, but, but <laughs> in reality, he goes, this is how you play football. They go, aye, aye, captain, and then they don't do it. But in every sport we see around the world, it's the, it's the coach that gets sacked. But they don't just go, you know what? We're getting 22 new blokes in. Boom. <laughs> but my biggest
2: thing with You're them, all them they completely overestimated. Like yeah. yeah. <sighs> they got their list all wrong. Because yeah. they crept up to the the fringe of the eight and they still had Rewalt and Montagna as two of their best five players who were all-time jets and then retired mm. and well, were forced to go, let's be honest. but and then people are surprised that they've gone backwards. oh like like that staggers me, staggers me. So I'm not sure that that's Alan Richardson. I know, but I just don't
0: know who else you're going to get rid of.
1: Billy Slater) <laughs> <laughs>
0: He might be playing around 18. Well,
2: you know what? I am just glad that the Fox footy ads for 360 have stopped because Jared was very fearful for Alan Richardson throughout that advertising campaign and still probably is. But I was getting a bit sick of hearing that phrase, I fear for you. (laughs) Um, Yes, indeed. Mm. So to
0: round out our preview for the season, I have the people's question, and that is what makes a good footy season? So we said what we want from our individual, but on a holistic level, is it a premiership? Is it a competitive season or competitive balance? What AFL seems to think is a good season. Is it just good stories, good features? 11 excuses to have beer with our mates. Why do we love footy? Why do we love a footy season? And do you think you'll get it this year? Lead us off, Casey.
1: It's always a premiership. Always. always so above always. all else. Above all else. That's the so only thing don't... that matters. Um the pursuit of greatness is the only thing that drives you in sport. So everything else that comes along with that, which I don't discount at all, I love the social element of football, I love the narratives, I love the stories, like you know, stories that will be especially um, like pertinent to my experience issue will be like watching Nui come back and um, you know, Brad Shepard come back, and then seeing how Andrew Gaff is received um, because he'll be back, but then it'll be a bit of a different <laughs> reception I for think him. That's a question. Um,
2: I think that's a that's a <laughs> foregone conclusion.
3: But,
1: we'll, I <laughs> but anyway, uh, but yeah, but those those things that, like drive me sort of like week to week um, to like go to the game and, and read the the newspaper and like yeah sit at a cafe and have coffee and read the back pages of, and read through all the sport like that really appeals to me, but like. The premiership trumps all of that. Like, those things aren't enjoyable without the pursuit of a premiership. So if, I, if my team is not on the park competing for a premiership every week, the other stuff doesn't matter. Like, mm. you, need to have, you need to have the pursuit and you need to have the hope to enjoy the journey. No.
0: So what happens come, like, say, round 11, you're not in the race? So you're 13th and realistically you might scrape into the 8, but you're probably not going to.
1: Football is a lot less enjoyable.
0: For me. So do you just check out? Do you just stop going? Do you stop watching? Do you
1: Yeah, um well back after two thousand six, so those years like two thousand seven, two thousand eight, where West Coast were pretty much out of it pretty early. Hmm. I definitely checked out. Um, I was not that interested. Um, I was pretty sour. Like <laughs> um, I went to some other games um, just to watch football, which, you know, sort of kept my interest a little bit, but it didn't mean anything to me. Like it was nice to get out there and see the game and watch some impartial games and, yeah, have a beer with some friends and treat it as a so- social thing. But without that pursuit, without that hope, without that shining glimmer of something at the end of the journey, the journey means nothing.
2: Wow. No, I, I am so I'm a process driven football supporter, so it's very much about if we're not going to get there, we've got to pay our dues. So we still go round, we still enjoy it. We'll ha- I'm happy Jeez, to watch. Pick
0: the West Coast supporter, and pick the Richmond supporter. <laughs> I'm
2: happy to pay my dues, get absolutely like watch my team get walloped by four. There are some dark days where I still turned up and watched just get beat with no chance of winning. Back in the day, I reckon you got to pay your dues and. I haven't quoted Flanners on this podcast for a while, but he always says, that footy is to Melbourne what canals are to Venice, a very good way of getting around. And I like, I love that quote because I reckon that like Melbourne is a winter city for me. I know I like summer and I've enjoyed the summer, but to me, I enjoyed last September, and this is quite nice for you too, really, um, as much as the year before because it was like we would go, we would hang out, we'd have beers, like it was very social. Um, Richmond only played one final of any substance that's still in my memory. Um, So I feel like that element of it doesn't go away. And I love the rhythm of it. Like you get in, it's autumn, there's autumn leaves, like the clock on the silo, you descend into the dark depths of winter and then by like the start of September, you're coming out, you can feel the weather getting better. It matches the rhythm of life. And I do think like, I'm always like, what do you do in Melbourne in summer? Like we don't have great beaches. Like the beaches are shit. You go to the cricket, JB. No, you do. But there's one <laughs> Test match and then Shield, and yeah, there's big one bash day is and, and big bash. Okay, yes, there's a lot of cricket as well. But like for me. It comes a lot. Like, there's not four games of cricket every weekend in Melbourne. Is there? Jim? No, there's not.
0: And exactly. so you said you said Melbourne's a winter city. I believe to quote Dickens, "It's a tale of two cities." So we have summer. Summer Melbourne is just pure leisure. I take there Flanners is, over Dickens. But there is anyway. there is oh you have <laughs> having a laugh, wow. All respect to Flanners, <laughs> but geez. <laughs> but yeah, summer summer Melbourne is pure leisure and just many different things. And you can nibble. It's it's like even like the sports menu is very summer oriented. It's light. It's diverse. You can pick and choose, and you can eat when you want, and nothing has that much, you know, context or like need to follow in for a whole season. Whereas footy, it's winter; it's like a heavy meal, and you had and and some stay stick with it the whole time. Some have you know have had enough by halfway through and push it away and go, all right, I'll I'll sleep that one off. But I think for mine, what I really like about winter is I think was when. Life happens again. I feel like school holidays still exist in my in my in my brain somehow. For so for somebody, you're just like I do what I want. You're not at work as often. You're just going around being free. Whereas now it's structure time, and so you know with footy on that there's like I got one thing backed. Like I know I That's can now it. I can now live by the rhythm of football. I don't know what I'm doing Monday the Thursday. I've got this. I got that. I'm freelancing. I'm doing whatever. But I know that come Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday.
2: It's footy time. But I can't remember being this ex- – I can't remember being this organised for the start of a footy season. Right, so i booked round one, Thursday, Friday, round two, Thursday, grand final rematch, Anzac Day Eve, Anzac Day. I've done all of it. I'm like I'm, I'm – you're, s-
0: you're ready for it to I'm start. six
2: rounds, seven rounds in, second tickets. Don't know who I'm going to give them all to yet, um, to the highest bidder probably or, you know, the person most likely to buy the beers. Um. Yeah, I, I I don't think I've ever been this excited. I think that's partly because of the way that last year ended, from a selfish fan point of view. Fair enough.
0: I think looking from the outside, looking in, it's been an underhyped season launch. I feel like this has been one of the more reserved and calm AFL lead-ups. In a I feel long like it's time. snuck up. A little, it has. It's a snuck up. Yeah.
1: I think that has to do with West Coast really. <laughs> And <laughs> not trying to bring it back to West Coast. But I think it's because the reigning premier is not a Victorian team. Whereas if it had been Collingwood who won, I think the season launch would have been huge.
0: Oh, and there would have been like the 'cause like the Richmond uh, grand funnel montage came out way earlier last year and I think yeah, if it was Collingwood especially it would have been yeah. and they would have been Bucks. Bucks would be interviewed, Bucks would have his own documentary. Yeah. Yeah. Well I think
1: like they had all that stuff really teed up. Like um so, yeah, they have that video that they release every year at the season launch, which is that um, that Pete Dickinson video that he does so beautifully every year. And this year I think – I don't know if they've done it before, but it's the first time I remember them doing it. It's actually like a bit of a series. So it's that their whole tagline is that, you know, don't believe in never. And instead of just having a grand final video, which they've done in the past, they've had a bit of a series that um, they started towards the end of last year with some um, AFLW content um, – and the first AFL-M content they did was Mason Cox's story. So before they actually paid tribute to the West Coast reigning premieres um, and what they did on that amazing day, um, they put out a little story about Mason Cox coming over from America to play in the grand final. And then, like, the final line of that is, like, how good is this story? couldn't get any better. It's like, well, we could have... Could have been better if we won. It's like, oh yeah, you didn't win. Like, where is more West Coast stuff? <laughs> and then they put out the West Coast video, which is actually excellent. Which goes into that last two minutes of the game and and the four players who are involved in that final play, which um, is just like, yeah, I cried a lot watching that too. Um, but yeah, I think the hype is conducive to having an interstate um, grand finalist, really. And so which for you, Tina
0: Hat wearing, saying it's the VFL, perhaps you have a point. <laughs>
3: Mokun, come with a bunny, it to way and put a marime mokun. Come with a bunny, you can it to way and put a marime mokun. Come with a bunny, you it to way and a put a Come with a bunny, you it to a way and put
0: a very very special book club our very own Jack Bannister is the author in residence today and we're going to interview him briefly about his excellent piece More than a game about footy in the Tiwi Islands and uh, the first very obvious question is JB, how different is footy up in the top end there's a lot of mythology around footy and and life in many respects up there does it is it as different as it is projected in you
2: know in the myths and the stories we get down here the background to this is that I spent two weeks with the Tiwi Bombers, so had a very specific experience, I guess, because the Tiwi team is 90% Indigenous, um, which separates them even from the other teams in the top end, which have various percentages, but you know they have probably more Indigenous players than um, they would in a Melbourne suburban football club because clearly the Indigenous population in the NT is larger. Um, so I watched them, I watched Saints, so I saw a decent slice of, I think I saw five out of the eight NTFL teams actually play Um, and I do wonder whether the differences in the game are as much about geography as just things like the weather like and the size of the competition is pretty small. It's eight teams. They obviously play through the wet season, so opposite the AFL. You get a lot of games that are like 35-degree heat but with rain, so you get all of that stuff you get in wet weather footy, high collision, high impact, hard to run because the ground's wet, etc., but then coupled with humidity, so what you end up getting is a game that kind of it doesn't meander along. But I know uh, Ashton Hams, who's a former West Coast player, who's up there, described it as burst footy. So you'll kind of get a mo- you'll get kind of a, a repeat stoppage, a bit scratchy, and then you'll just get like the ball will fly from one side to the other. Um, so it is a little bit more. I guess the pace changes more would probably be what I would say. It's not played at as frenetic a pace consistently, but when it is. Explosive. It's probably as or more explosive than the elite. And do you think that's
0: a natural occurrence, or is that coaches wanting to play in a certain way? Like, is it is it a, is it as structured and rigid as? Because even down to amateur level with the waFA and the suburban leagues, it is like there's whiteboards, there's metrics, there's targets. It's very structured. Is this is this different style of footy happening because it's just
2: happening, or is it because it's an actual active pursuit of a different style of footy? I mean, it's still a semi-pro competition. So the clubs have flying slots that they fill with players who will come in like some, somewhat like country footy, like guest spots. Um, most of those players are expenses or they're paid for appearances. It depends on the club. Um, so that sort of, in terms of where it's at, it is a semi-professional league. It's probably not an equivalent to a state league in terms of the level. Um, because obviously the best players in the NTFL go and play for the NT Thunder in the NEFL. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a kind of a progression. So it is really a feeder league for the NEFL team, um, but obviously with its own unique history, is it coached differently? Um, I mean, I can only really speak of one experience because I was obviously in the rooms with the Bombers. And I think that their natural instinct has to be to play a less structured game because of what they actually have, they don't have height. What What do they have? They have speed and they have pretty good core footy skills. They don't have height, which really does change it. So I would argue that when you have that set of demographics on your list, you can't play a hyper structured game.
0: And and to to go inside baseball inside football here, do, do you think that makes them a unique and different prospect, or is it thing that actually restricts what they can do even in their own league? Because like, if you take it and you compare it to an AFL sitting, that was always a problem with the Bulldogs, was that they didn't have height, they didn't even play a Ruckman, and Beveridge went, you know what, we don't need Ruckman. We don't need K forwards. We're going to play 22 midfielders, essentially, and you'll all start on different players the field and we'll just play it that way, and they won a premiership. Does that does that have an advantage or disadvantage when
2: you take it to this level of competition? Is it an advantage? I don't know whether it's – I think it has, like, it has the pros and the cons. So it is – uh, they're a hard. They have to be a hard team to match up against the bombers. So their forward line, for example, there's just no key key tall. So they you're looking at like Austin Wanamiri, ex Melbourne, who's not tall. You're looking at Ross Talum. Like it's essentially like if you build a forward line of like six small half forward flank style forwards, like six. I don't want to use a cliche, but they're similar build to Anthony McDonald Tip and Woody, for example. Um, so what that means is that they're not leading up trying to take pack marks, they're running their opponents under the ball and then letting it go over the back and running onto it. Um, It means that if you're a team with, like, you couldn't play three key tall defenders against them because you just get rinsed. Because the way the ball comes in is if they have speed of ball movement up the field, then yes, they can mark it on the lead and they're too quick for you, but they're also lethal when it's on the deck. So it changes all your matchups. So I, I would be really interested now, having seen what they try and do, to see how other teams play them and how differently they play them to other teams, because you'd have to play them differently. Like, they don't have – they've got barely a bloke over six foot, so you're going to win the hit outs, great, but then they've got two coming off the back of the square because we're not playing 6-6-6 six, six, six up there. So there's all of these different permutations that create a situation that is unorthodox to coach against. Yeah. And do you see that work – do you think that would work in –
0: like, could it work in the AFL? Could it work in the VFL? Where, or do you think it's very much like a
2: it's only happening because that's what they've got given? The one thing I would observe is when they get the game and they can get the ball outside on the run, they're lethal. But if you structured up against them in such a way, and I guess this is probably the answer. At the AFL level, if you structured up against a team like that and curtailed quick ball movement and they had to kick long down the line, you would pump them because they're not going to take that contested grab. So what you do tend to see is when they get on top, they get really on top. But when they get behind, it's really, really hard because if you shut down the way they move the ball and don't let them get it on the run – Then they do; they're going to struggle because they're not going to take huge pack marks that you would see conventional teams take. And you probably have seen that with even with Richmond in the AFL in recent years, without with sort of one key tall, if you shut down ball movement around the place, then they're not going to necessarily win the marks down the line. Um, Although in some instances they've probably done that by body work rather than height, Mm. um, which is an interesting sort. It's not all height; it is a little bit of reading the ball, but. Mm. Yeah, height's obviously a factor.
0: Cool. So that's the X's and O's. But obviously, this trip was about more than more than that. And one of the big football cliches is that you talk about culture as a coach and as a coaching staff and as a club. But I think in the AFL and a professional context, what that actually means is standards. So training the standards, playing the standards, what's required of you to be a professional footballer. You've mentioned in your piece quite a lot that they actually embrace their Tiwi culture a lot. And do you think that is actually an explicit commitment to their actual? culture as opposed to standards when we talk about it in footy terms.
2: Yeah, it's an explicit reference to – and that's one of the things that was mentioned. So when this club was set up, the Tiwi Islands had one of the highest suicide rates in the world per head of capita. And one of the advantages that's been identified by researchers since then is essentially that this is a lifting-off point for them to keep Tiwi culture going. That's something that's very pronounced in how they interact. It's very pronounced because there's a lot of people in that room – that are related, so they they're able to share. I guess that that culture, they're able to do things like because they play there, they all speak in Tiwi, and their coach will speak in Tiwi in their pregame address, and English is very much a second language. Um, so they are able to keep a lot of those rituals going through that connection, and I think that they are as a group of people very aware of why they exist and what they represent, and there's a lot of pride in. I think it's in the piece. I don't know if it ended up getting cut, but there's a piece where a bit where their coach, Brendan Toy, was talking about um, we come in from our country in our jumper in their sort of pre-game chat, very much playing on that they are actually a mostly Indigenous team and they do embrace that. And the fact that they come from a small community is very, very important. Um, And the ability of football to engage young men in their culture, but also in strong lifestyle choices and to have... Structuring their week because of the commitments that that brings is is a really positive thing.
0: And do you see leaders within the club taking on those positions about more than just football? Again, we hear a lot in all the magazine shows to do with AFL that you know a coach plays a massive role in helping these young boys become men or teaching them how to live life, not just become footballers. Do you see that being being reflected in in this setup in the Tiwi Bombers and more so to do with being specifically around their culture?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think they do set up opportunities where their players will go back into community and I think when you look at the sort of the jobs that are available, like so Shane Tipper Tipper Mantamiri, um, for example, is a part of the cultural programs in the academy on the island. So he's very involved with not just mentoring young footballers, but Mentoring young men, and I, this kind of didn't make the piece, but they have essentially have a system where for these young boys, they sort of mark them on academic performance, um, attendance at school, and sort of behavior, and then they mark them on footy. But footy is factored as like, I think it's worth about 25% of what the other two are worth, and the rewards for ticking certain boxes are cultural camps, etc. Um, so there is a real ability or sort of like an effort to build role models and to build role models as fathers in particular within that structure and people that can live and know culture as much as possible to take that back and pass it on to younger generations. Because I think a lot of those players have felt the tensions between um, living in modern Australia and then also understanding your old cultural ways and how important they both are and it is to understand both of those systems and to be able to thrive within both of them.
0: So the club obviously can can do what it does because it is essentially like a small knit community and so it's easy to manage stakeholders, for lack of a better word. Can you see that being replicated by leagues, even like so a state league or the AFL or the commission to to use that and improve their, their programs that they already currently have around like the Indigenous population that they deal with?
2: This is probably an indirect answer to the question, but I think the biggest factor is that they have complete control of what they're doing. And so I think that um, that is probably the single most important part of what they are able to do and what they did, not just in f- by setting up a football club, but as a broader community, which is in the piece. I think the most important thing is that they were in control of all of that. They were in control of every decision that was made. Um, and I don't know in an AFL, con- can a gov- I don't think a governing body like the AFL can make decisions that are as effective as that. As a community of Indigenous people, go no. This is what we want, and this is how we're going to do it. Um, I don't think that can ever be replicated by a body that isn't a large Indigenous body. Yeah, would probably be the answer to that question. That
1: um, I'm really interested in how you came to be up there to write this piece. Like, it sounds like, um, like this story is just is so incredible. There's so many different facets to it, and like reading the piece, I thought like I'd never really considered um, like TV football before. Like I'd, you know, sort of seen glimpses of the news around the time that finals are on and I don't really know that much about it. And I wonder what was your motivation for wanting to go up there and explore this world a bit more and, and open up these things and learn more about their style of football and their culture and and also um, like in the piece there's a lot that you write about um, sort of the, the mental health side of things as well, which I found really interesting um, how like how did this story happen? I guess is what I want to know. Like, how did you come to get up there and get access to all of these amazing stories? Uh,
2: I guess just from a football context, you have a knowledge of where people are from, but without necessarily understanding those places. So most people will know that the Tiwi Islands have that's where the Riolis are from.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: What does that? What's the place like on the ground? What's the? What are the intricacies of that? There's an intrigue for me in the fact that a community that has two 2,500 people has produced, you know, what, Michael Long won a Norm Smith, Morris Rioli won a Norm Smith, Cyril Rioli won a Norm Smith. Um, and if you kind of look at Miller Carpity in particular and you look at AFL players from a very small, that's pretty much, we're talking all the Riolis, Wanamiri, multiple players that have gone to places like South Frio So, like, that in itself is, I find quite remarkable. Like they've had a, for a community of that size, they've had a, a huge impact on the game. Um, so there's that. And then I, I guess just doing the background research into what had happened up there, um, you kind of realize that when you Googled the place, there would, that was what you would get. You would get football and you would get, that this was a place that had social issues and mm. su- a suicide rate that was high and um, And then I guess that I had people that had told me, you know, the Bombers were set up at that point for that reason and so did some deeper exploration. There was an ABC documentary done just after the club was set up in 2007 or 2008. Um, And so I guess the advantage of going up there now is that there was an ability to have a look at how that had played out over a longer period of time. And I guess the other thing is, and I think it's really important to acknowledge, that there was a lot more going on than football. There was so many other things that were done Um, that have been of benefit. And I think that, yeah, I guess the the catalyst for me and I guess where you're trying to add to what was done in that documentary was how does this look 10 or 12 years in retrospect? And then I guess the other point is how how can this be useful um, or be a learning that could be applied elsewhere? The Kimberley is mentioned in the piece because they had a, a large inquest into youth suicide in the Kimberley in February um, where they lost 12 young people in in a space of maybe four years.
3: Wow.
2: Um, And so there was a strong, I guess, hope that it looks at what can be done as a broader response. And I think, and going back to what we said about sort of could this be replicated, I think that the key thing that I took out of it was that if you give them control and self-determination and the ability to discuss and implement their own solutions, I guess the result is more or less positive, but that's too often lacking in what's done.
1: Mm. How was your experience up there, um, like, talking to all these people involved? Like, were you, were you quite welcomed into the community and were you given a lot of access or was there a bit of trepidation of you as a bit of an outsider and a journalist coming in to write on these things? Because they're quite sensitive, some of these issues.
2: Yeah, so I tried um, to kind of let people get comfortable with me before I tried to put them on microphone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I was up there for two weekends, which was a real advantage because it meant that the first weekend everyone kind of scoped me out. And then the second weekend, I kind of really did a lot of interviews within the sort of three or four days of that last weekend. Um, but I found people were really welcoming. I think the biggest thing was um, people were interested because if you go up there with the attitude that you want to listen, then the majority of people talk to you. Um, I pretty much tried to let people set the grounds for what they wanted to tell me or not tell me. Um, let them do it in their own time. Um, and I guess that that served me well. But, yeah, I found them incredibly welcoming. Um, it would be – um, it's a, I mean, I was happily preparing to go up if they'd made the grand final. Unfortunately, they lost in a prelim. Um, but, yeah, I probably have made people or made some people – like made friends, I guess, that um, I'd be more than happy to, to go up and see again because they are very, 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 very welcoming of outsiders, which I guess came out in the follow-up that I wrote about Ashton Hams and him being sort of the soul white player for a lot of the time that he was up there. There are others that fly up, but he'd sort of been there for an extended period and played games as the only white fella. And I think that they were incredibly welcoming with him as well. And the other, I guess, white fellas that I observed up there at the same time as me.
1: Do you think you will go back up there and continue to write?
2: I don't know if I'll write. I'll definitely go. Mm -hmm. Like, I think there's a scope to go up there. And I'd love to go up there and just spend time not not working, um, you know, and just see what it's like on a, I guess, yeah. Do more exploration of it because I do feel like I learned a lot, but there was there was a lot of intricacies that are you you can't get around in two weeks. Yeah, like I think if you, I mean, you're talking about a lifetime of learning for people up there, and in terms of learning their own culture, it's something that you know it it's doesn't happen overnight. So, yeah, when you kind of drop yourself in, there's there's an infinite number of things. The way they have um, relationships to each other, Tiwi Way is what what they call it. It's about the different skin groups and if you marry someone, you then adopt their extended family into your family. But the names they use for that are completely different. So your granddad Tiwi way is not your granddad blood way. So there's a whole complicated network that I at some point was like, we should map this out in a family tree. And someone was like, We we've gonna have like five hours to get through this. Um, and that's kind of one of the things that's hard to capture in the piece in like they there's obviously blood relation in the team, but then when you take into account the Tiwi rate, the, the relations in Tiwi way,
3: mm.
2: there's a network that is very very difficult to, for an outsider to understand, and I am happy to admit that I only skim the surface of that. Yeah. Which is why when the piece is sort of given and we're talking about the relationships that they have, it's like, well I know how blood relationship works. I'm going to just stick with that because that makes the point. But there's a lot that's hard to understand, um, and I think if you took, take that take that in the broader culture, it makes the point about self determination even more important.
1: I think you're right. I think there's so much up there that, especially, you know, for us down here that are really ignorant of the ways of life of Indigenous people and a lot of the histories of Indigenous football and the Tiwi culture, I think there's some really important stories there that you could explore. So maybe I'm going to predict a book in a couple of years, please, because I (laughs) want to read it. (laughs)
2: We'll see.
0: Where do you see the Tiwis being in the future? Obviously you saw them on a 10-year development from when when they'd been formed. Like do they need to be a winning football club to be a successful entity or do they have like the freedom to just do, do the important work
2: that they're doing regardless of their performance on the field? So they did run into some financial trouble a couple of years ago. Um, they do have really good support from Essendon. Um, that financial trouble was linked to economic downturn in the industries on the island, um, which has ramifications of sponsorship. That's pretty much been levelled out um, and I think that Again, you don't know what's going to happen economically, but I think enough people see the importance of what they're doing to keep them alive. And I think, yeah, they are. I mean, they've won one premiership. They finished fifth and then third the last couple of NTFL seasons. So after the initial entry to the league, they were quite successful, dropped off a little bit. They're kind of on this incline of improvement. Um, So next year for them will be really interesting. I, I do think that you will see and you will continue to see, I think, the six Tiwi players in the AFL at the moment. I don't think that's going to stop um Morris Jr I saw him play at 15 for Saint Mary's um now I wouldn't suggest I mean it's hard because there's already going to be a lot of pressure on him mm. um but I, th- I it's my I think my understanding is that he's coming down to Saint Pats in Ballarat this season um which is where Daniel went so how he sort of progresses would be interesting uh Adam Tippen Woody who is the cousin of Anthony McDonald Tippen Woody um, was overlooked in the draft but is now, um, signed to play a full season of NIFL with the NT Thunder. So there are definitely names that are worth watching over the coming years. Um, and they do have, I think their youngest players are 15 or 16 in the in the Bombers. There's a couple of them, um, along with your old heads, like Wanamiri, who, uh, there's a, there, yeah, there are some players that are probably not going to be coming back to Melbourne. Um, but there are a few others that they do kind of have a little bit of an ongoing connection to South Fremantle. So the guy called Dan Moncara... Who's super 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 talented? Um, who did a bit of training with South Freo over the off season, um, with an eye to potentially playing some waffle. So there are a f- there are a lot of players that um, also scatter themselves across the Victorian country leagues and then like country leagues throughout Australia. So if you kind of have a look, your Tipper Tipper your Tipper Mantamiris, your Tunga your Purun Mantamiri's. Um, my net pronunciation's pretty scrappy, but there are a few names to look out for. Um, someone inevitably online does a summary of where they all end up because uh, they do tend to go far and wide in the off-season and play a little bit year-round.
0: Excellent. So definitely a case of watch this space, both with the Tiwis and where they end up in uh, the winter football season.